0: So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is episode 218 for the 29th of Sivan in a leap year. So when people tend to talk about God and their relationship with God, assuming that they have a conscious relationship with God... Uh, They can talk about it in many different ways. People often talk about God as being this, like being outside of themselves. Sometimes people will acknowledge the fact that maybe there's a sense of God or godliness within them. Maybe people might even go so far as to say that they acknowledge that there's a certain type of godliness present in the world, present in, in in all things, acknowledging the imminence of God. But all of these things, they they can sound really vague, all of these terms like God's transcendence, God's imminence, God within us, God without us. And what we're trying to do in this safer, this section of the Tanya, the Shari Chubba Muna, is really to break these things down and really to try to meditate upon them and and analyze them in a more technical way to try to gain a deeper appreciation as to who God is, at least insofar as our relationship to him and what that means for our lives. So the subject of the chapter that we've been learning so far in this in the past several episodes, is, which is chapter seven, is this whole like back and forth, this whole interplay between on the one hand, we have God's transcendence, the way that we talk about God as being unchanging in terms of his relationship to the world, and in terms of God knowing everything in a form of self-knowledge and how there's the world and there's all the happening happenings in the world and all the changing things and everything like that and then there's God who's unchanging who's kind of above it all in a certain sense and is constantly creating these things and bringing them into life something from nothing in this somewhat of almost removed kind of way. But then there's this totally different part of God, this totally different aspect of God, which is just as equally real, which is God's imminence and God's presence here in the world. And the fact that God is very much present in all things, in all beings, in a, in a, in a very deep way, in a very personal way, in a very detailed way. And we discussed how these two things in Hasidic literature have two different terms for them. So the first one, the the level of God's transcendence, we refer to as which literally means transcends all the worlds. And then the second level of God's imminence, God's presence here in the world, in this more uh, particular and individualistic way, we call Memalikol Alman, which literally means fills all the worlds. And this latter category, this category of Memalikol Alman, of God's immanence, is going to be the subject of our episode today. We're going to talk about this in a little bit more detail, and we're going to continue with something that we left off with yesterday, where we talked about the fact that in this level of Memalikol Alman... There are levels. So unlike in Seventh Kalamin, in the level of God's transcendence, where we say that where there's like everything is the same on a, in a certain sense, like there like there's God and there the way that God. Influences the world in the way of of kalamin is sort of like in this equal and kind of uniform way, where it's there's there's the entire world and there's all the happenings in the world, all the differences and all of the different creations. But God's kind of above it all, like we mentioned, and it's He's kind of influencing it in this equal way. He's influencing them all in this equally transcendent way. But then on the level of Kalamin and the way that God is imminent and present here in creation, things are a lot different. So this is where God is a lot more uh, involved. And on that level of being a lot more involved, it's extremely specified. And God's light shines in every single creature in an extremely particular way, in a very detailed way to bring them into creation into, in that specific manner. And we spoke about the fact that really the source of all creation, really the source of everything in the world and the way by which God creates the world is by virtue of God's speech, by virtue of the spirit of God's mouth. And in particular, what we mean by this is through God, God's speech, which what, what is it that God speaks? Speaks God speaks the 10 utterances of creation. That's like the source of all everything in the world, the entire creation of the world. As we find in the story of creation in the book of Rishis, where we see how God created the world through these 10 utterances. And what we spoke about yesterday is the, is the fact that these 10 utterances, while they are the, like the primordial source of all of creation, we see that there are only 10 utterances, there are only 10 sayings, and not everything in the world is contained in those 10 sayings in an explicit manner. So what happens is that while those things that were spelled out, like the sun, the moon, light, darkness, the firmament above the heavens and the firmament below the heavens, like the waters, like those kind of things were spelled out really explicitly, all the other things in creation that were not spelled out explicitly are still created through those utterances, but they're created through those utterances, through the transpositions, the substitutions, the combinations, different permutations, and interchange of those letters. So that those letters that are found in those 10 utterances go through this process of kind of like switching themselves around and concealing themselves in such a way that then they can create new things that were not explicitly mentioned in those 10 utterances. And then those new things that come about because they were formed in this kind of like switcheroo, kind of like backwards kind of like, uh, weird combination kind of thing, they don't express God's light as clearly. They're not as obviously godly, as obviously uh, pro- radiant so to speak which is purposeful because that is the in order as we spoke about before in order to have this multiplicity of creation in order to have something even other than god in the world or anywhere god had to conceal his light god had to constrict himself so that it wouldn't just be him he had to remove himself on a certain level at least insofar as our perceptions are concerned and like This makes sense kind of like if you look at the different types of creations in the world, those things that were uh, stated explicitly in the 10 utterances of creation, we tend to think of, we tend to associate a little bit more with godliness, with divinity on a certain level, like not only in Judaism, but in other uh, customs as well. People tend to look up at the planetary, the planets in the sky, uh, or they look at the sun. They look at light. They look at darkness. These things hold a lot of weight, and they're often worshipped. Sometimes in different cultures, these these forces. So there's something that people acknowledge about even the water, you know, the great oceans, and that kind of thing. That people kind of acknowledge that there's some some really intense force in them. On the other hand. We look at other things in creation, the more kind of mundane aspects of creation, dirt on the ground, a rock, like just like a simple rock, which is actually going to be the subject of today. And people don't necessarily... Like, I mean, unless maybe we're talking about crystals or, you know, something, some kind of like really special rock or something, the average rock that you find on the ground, most people are not worshiping that rock. Most people don't sense this really high intense energy force in that rock, even though that same rock was created by God and is created by God, something from nothing every second, just as the sun is, you know? So what we'll learn about today is a very particular type of this transposition and substitution of the letters uh, that really diminishes God's light to the biggest degree. So where we have these initial letters that we find in the 10 utterances of creation, those initial letters. And then we talked about how like there's various methods by which which they become a little bit more diminished in terms of the light which they radiate. This could come about through different combinations in, in the letter so that they don't form those exact words. That would be like one type of concealment of their light. Another way would would be where you actually could substitute certain letters for other letters. So that like that like, let's say you could have like a, an Aleph, and that changes into a Vav, for example, which we spoke about in a previous episode, that would be like an even further type of concealment of the light. And then what we're going to talk about today is the furthest type of concealment of, of the light from a letter that you could possibly have, which is where you reduce it down to its numerical value. And so it's not even about like letter anymore. There's no more like, uh, like actual explicit meaning that's coming out from the letter. It's just its numerical value. So what do we mean by a numerical value? So there's the, this idea in um, in Judaism called gematria, which is that every single one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet have a letter of value to them. So like Aleph is one, for example, Bet is two, Gimel is three, and so on and so forth. Yod is 10, and then Chaf is 20. And You know, there's a whole progression of of the numerical value of the letters. And this is often used, like people often use this gematria in order to come to understand a deeper meaning behind some words. So like sometimes you can take different words in Hebrew and we think of them in a certain way and then when we look at their gematria, we can actually see that it can teach us something like kind of a deeper meaning behind those words. As a side note, a cool example of this that I remember learning once, this nothing to do with today's Tanya, but I just thought I'd share because we're, we're talking about Gamatra, is that many, many words that have to do with Shabbos come out to the the gematra numerical value of the number seven, which is really interesting, right? Because seven, because Shabbos is the seventh day, right? So for example, wine, wine is yain in Hebrew. So yain is spelled yod, yod nun. So yod is 10. The second yod is also 10 and nun is 50. So that's 10 plus 10 plus plus ten plus. 50 is 70, seven plus zero is seven. So that's one example. You have the word dog, which is fish. Uh, that's something that's a, a very big Shabbos food. We're supposed to eat fish on Shabbos. So dog is, Dalid is four, gimel is three. You add the two together, you get seven, right? We also eat challah on Shabbos. And the uh, that's the bread, the special bread we eat on Shabbos. And the numerical value for challah is, it's chet, lamed Hey. Chet is eight, lamed is 30. And then hay is five. So that's, so what's eight plus 30 plus five? So let's start out with eight plus five. So that would come out to 13. So then you have 13 plus 30 is 43 and 43 four plus three equals seven so there's a bunch of examples like this i don't know the source of this particular uh shabbos gematria thing but i thought it was pretty cool and it's just to give you guys a a taste of of this idea of gematria you know the the idea of the gematria of a thing of the numerical value of a thing well, on the one hand, it points to the a, a deeper meaning behind what the thing is itself. On the other hand, it's actually a very big diminishment of God's light. It's like a way by which God manifests His light, but in a very, very diminished thing. So, what we're going going to look about, learn about today, is that while uh, on this level of mabalikal, I mean, God manifests His light in different ways, in very particular and individualistic ways to all the different types of creation. For some types of creation, namely a rock, for example, and this is the example the altar is going to bring, the diminishment of God's light is so intense and so strong that the only thing left that we see from it is its numerical value, which, which is pointed to in its name, in the name Evan. As we'll see, and so the big takeaway from this is really coming to understand and really to emphasize again how the names of things in Hebrew in the Lashon Hakodesh, in the holy tongue, are not random. And when things have specific names, to them like the word Evan in Hebrew that we call a rock, it's not random. It's not like we just, we call it rock Evan because it's you know it's it's convenient or whatever. It's actually pointing at a very deep level of the value of the thing itself of of what it's it's telling us what its spiritual source is. So we can think of the Hebrew words of different objects, like the their biblical names, their names in Lashon al-Kodesh, as kind of like being codes to tell us as to what their spiritual origin is. It's a really cool thing. And that's why a person's Hebrew name is so profound, is so deep and that we take it so seriously, like the naming of a child uh, when they're born or at the breasts, and also like, there's this idea that if a person faints god forbid there's there's an idea that if you whisper their hebrew name into their ear they'll wake up because the hebrew name of a person just like the hebrew name of any object is really intimately tied to who they are to their spiritual source so let's get into the text and see how the ultravah explains all of this and so here we go so the ultravah begins and he t- he He begins by talking about this numerical value, the cheshbon of an object. And he says that the the numerical value of something points to the true diminishment of the light and vitality, one diminishment after another, like until the point that the only thing left is this last degree, is its, is its number, its sum, the sum of the object itself. So within the light, which is manifest, like this, this very diminished light that we find that's manifest within this numerical value, within the sum of the objects, we find all kinds of different levels and all, all kinds of different powers within this light. It's, it's just that they're very concealed. And now the ultra of it brings in a parentheses here, a brackets, and he says that it's after all these, these contractions and the different type and things like this that we, that we spoke about, been talking about so far, this, this is what God's wisdom decreed, that his light and his vitality will be able to be vested within the lower the objects as well so it's not just reserved for like higher beings but it's god wanted his light and life force to be manifest within the lower objects as well as well for example in stones and in dust and in inanimate objects in general and so now the ultra is going to bring the specific example of a stone or a rock so the word for stone in hebrew is evan which is aleph bet and nun, and so the ultra is going to Use, a, use this example of a stone and show us what its spiritual sh- source is. So he says that if you look at the, the name Evan, if you look at this word stone, you see that it's made up of three letters. It's made up of Aleph, Bet, and Nun. So he focuses first on the last two letters, on the bet and the nun. So interestingly enough, these two letters, bet and nun, they there's actually a name of God which we which is called by this letter of bet and nun. We call it ban in in Kabbalah. It comes up quite a bit, and it's alluded to. Like we call it ban, but what we're really referring to when we talk about this name of ban is we're really referring to the numerical equivalent of that, namely 52. And the reason why, just to understand this on a technical level, is that basically the way that a lot of these names come about and these different types of names that we talk about uh, of God is that we take this original tetragrammaton, we take the original Yudke Vavke name, and then we spell it out phonetically. And there's different ways that you can do this. Like you can take like the Yud and you can spell the Yud with a Yud dalid, for example. You can spell it with an Aleph instead of the Vav like there, there's a whole bunch of different ways to do this and when you spell it out phonetically in different ways these different ways produce different types of energies different ways that this this name manifests itself and then when you add up the numerical value that results from it we summarize that we kind of like give it an abbreviation of its numerical value so in so a certain type of combination of the name of Yodke Vavke when it's spelled out phonetically comes out to 52 which we then call the name of Bun so what the ultra is pointing out here is that this this word evan, this word for stone, contains within it the word bun, contains a bet and a nun. So he says that this is alluding to the fact that it's sourced in the name of bun. In so now we can see that a little bit get a little bit of a sense of the spiritual source of this object. And then he says, in addition to the name of bun, there's also an aleph there. And so what is this aleph? So he says that the aleph is alluding to another name of God. This is coming from a different combination of the name of god and he says that we why is this like what does this mean all of this this is something that only god knows so we don't really know why like the altar is telling us the what but the why the deeper meaning behind it all this is something that he says this is this is god god has his reasons for doing this but for whatever reason we see that the name evan the name for stone in hebrew is coming from these two places coming from the name of ban and coming from the letter aleph which is from a different name of god and so now the altaric goes on, and he says that this name of Bon is from the supernal worlds. It's from a very, very high plate. But through numerous contractions that are very intense from level to level, uh, it it like the vitality that came out from it came out like a very small amount of vitality came into this world in order to become vested within. A stone so meaning to say that this name of ban is very lofty it's very spiritual it's very high but God wanted this vitality to come down here into this world to become enclosed in this world specifically into in into a rock into a stone and so the way that he did this is he had to have this vitality from the name of ban become very diminished very contracted and very concealed and this is why it comes down through this way of the, of, of the concealment of its life force in just being present in a way of its numerical value. And then the ultra says that this is the soul of the domem, which is giving the vitality and bringing it into existence, something from nothing at every moment as was explained above. So meaning to say that like when we talked about this idea that God is creating the world something from nothing at all times, he does this, it's all coming from God, but he uses various like techniques to do this. And so the technique, so to speak, like the tool that God uses to create this specific level of stone is coming from his name of Ban, which is very, very lofty. But yet uh, he, he uses that and that vitality is still there and is still present within the force of the inanimate through which the stone came about. And then the altar goes on and he says that this is what we call this is this level of the imminence of God of the, of the level of by which we refer to God when we say that he fills all the worlds, which is not as we spoke about the level of sov Kalamin, which if you've been following along, sov Kalamin is the level of God's transcendence. That's the level by which God is kind of like removed from all the worlds that creates that, that uh, affects everything in a more equal kind of way. And then the altar continues, and he says that this is true from level to level, that God uh, can create every single creation according to its particular level, and there's no limit to, uh, to this ability. So God can create like uh, an infinite number of things, both in terms of qu- quality and in terms of quantity, because this is a godly force, which comes from the spirit of God's mouth, and there's no limit to it just that the quality of these created beings is not going to be on as high a level as those things which came specifically and explicitly, like directly from the letters themselves, meaning from the letters as opposed to the numerical value. So just to explain that a little bit, basically what the altar was saying is that God could create an infinite number of things, even though there aren't an infinite number of letters. Once we get into the numerical values of letters, in theory, it's possible for God to actually take this light and, and vitality that comes from these 22 letters and he can use their numerical value to create an infinite number of things. It's it's truly, truly infinite. However, the point that he's leaving us off with here is that the vitality, which would be, would be manifest through those things that would be merely coming about through these uh, numerical Miracle values of the letters would be very much diminished. It wouldn't be as uh, radiant. They wouldn't manifest God's light, God's uh, vital force as directly, kind of as clearly as those things which come about in a more direct way through the letters themselves. So that is it for today. I hope that was enlightening and interesting to you guys. And this was the conclusion of chapter seven. I don't know if I mentioned that actually, Uh, I apologize if I didn't, of Shari Chodvamona. And tomorrow we're going to move on and we're actually going to learn an entire chapter of chapter eight. And so uh, I look forward to it and I will speak to you then.